Father in heaven, we're thankful for the opportunity to be together here. And we're thankful for the promise that your, your spirit will guide us and where two or three are gathered in your name, that you will be among us. We, we need your presence. We ask for your blessing as we share some more important parenting principles. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is the ABCs of parenting. So what do you think of when you think of the ABCs? It's kind of the basics. Okay? So uh, what do you think the, the A might stand for in parenting? Always. See, now there's no wrong answers to this, but the ones that we have on the paper are the ones we're going to talk about. So always, that's, that's good always being there. Something that's very necessary in everyday parenting. And not always comfortable, okay? So we're not going to spend a lot of time with this guessing game, but anybody else have an A that might really be important and not always so comfortable in parenting? Attitude. Attitude? Well, that's very good and that's very true. We're going to be talking about accountability for the A, okay? So B, what might be something important for a, the letter B? Behavior, that's very important. That's not what we have on our paper, but we're gonna be talking about it, okay? <laughs> Bedtime, though, that's very important too. Especially for the parents, right? <laughs> uh <-huh. clears throat> okay, so we're gonna be talking about boundaries. Accountability, boundaries, and C. What do you Consequences, got it, oh. <laughs> first shot, <laughs> okay. Also consistency is a good one, but we're gonna be looking at the ABCs in this, this topic today because it's very foundational. And this is an area that in the culture of today, parenting culture of today is almost non-existent. It's going extinct, right? Accountability, boundaries and consequences, it's like, where did that come from? Well, we're going to go back to the scriptures. We're going to look at what God says at the beginning of, of creation, really. And um, we're going to see how in a perfect environment, with a perfect parent and perfect children, the ABCs were in place. So, you know, early on in our parenting experience, I would have never imagined that Genesis could be so full of parenting principles. One of the reasons that we keep going back, and we're doing it again, this year, Elaine and I are going back and we're reading the Bible through again, along with the inspired commentaries. And our focus this time is to try to place ourselves as much as possible in that setting, okay? Now, we can't, we can't be, we'd love to be in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Pre-sin, but, right? but we're talking about trying to put ourselves what was this like, okay? What was it really like for Abraham to have to wake his son up and take him on a three-day journey? You know, his only son. And God said, the son that you love, your only son. I mean, we're just trying to enter in. And so we want to enter in this morning with some very basic principles. And these are the best principles because these are between God and his children. So God now is the parent in, in, in this Scenario. So we're going to be looking at Genesis 2, and we're going to start in verse 16. So here's the Lord God, who is the parent, okay? Can't get better than that. And the Lord God commanded the man, who is the man? 
It's the only man on the scene here. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. And then verse 17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. So what is this that God has established right here at the beginning? It's a boundary. It's, it's a, a boundary. clear boundary, isn't it? You have this entire garden filled with scrumptious fruit, right? Tr trees of every imaginable kind. And some we have never probably And, and maybe some we've never <laughs> encountered, right? And, and then he says you can eat freely of them. Anything you want, it's at your choosing, except there's only one, only one little tree. Can you imagine? the other options that they had, right? Only of this one, I do not want you to eat of it. There is a clear boundary before there's any wandering around, looking around, doing things, because so often we as parents never establish boundaries, and then we try to enforce boundaries that have never been understood. So here we see a clear boundary in a perfect environment and a perfect family. So then we continue in verse 17. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely what? what? What of the ABCs is happening here? It's a clear consequence, isn't it? So the boundary has been given, and before the boundary has been broken, there is a clear consequence that's going to be the natural result of crossing the boundary. That sounded pretty, pretty hard, because what is death, right? I mean, there's, we understand death, but they didn't understand death but they understood God, and they understood his direction for them, so the boundaries were clear. If the boundaries broken, the consequence would be clear. So, I'm gonna jump over. I wish we had time to go through the whole story, but there, there's not time for that. But we're gonna jump over to verse eight now of Genesis three. And they heard the voice of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Who is they? Adam and Eve. So, they heard his voice. What was something that God did? God the Father in this picture, the, the, the parent, if you will, or Christ parenting. What was something that happened every day in the cool of the evening? He came to talk with them. Isn't that beautiful? Now, there's a lesson. This is Family not, time. Uh, daily family that's time. That's right. right We're there, not talking right? about family time today, but every day, this is something that God did for his new family. Isn't that beautiful? And so on this particular day, he comes in the cool of, of the evening, and, and then it says in verse 9, the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? Something's different happening here. Did God have to do that the other times that he came? Did God know where they were? Isn't it interesting, one of the first parenting principles we picked up in this was God ask a question. You know what we do as parents sometimes? I know what you did, and you are in trouble now, right? I mean, I'm sure nobody else has ever spoken that way to their child, <laughs> but I have, okay? It's not the best way to approach a situation, is it? God asks questions. Okay, so he goes on, and now we're just going to skip down here to, to verse 11. And he said to them, who told you you were naked? How, how, did, 
how did you know you were naked? How did you get this idea? Something has changed here. Can I just back sure. up? When God came to the garden and he called to them that evening or in the cool of the day, uh, what was he calling them to? To himself, right? And when they weren't there and he called out for them, he was already initiating the A in the ABCs, accountability. You know, I need you to come to me. So he, they, they finally show up, right? And then they, they you know, why didn't you come? Well, because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? So God is entering into a discussion with his children and calling them to what? Accountability, right? So this is very important. He says, have you eaten of the tree? Does he know the answer? Mm -hmm. Many times we know the answer. But many times we don't give our children the opportunity to come forward. We don't give them the opportunity to tell us what happened. We just tell them, I know what you did. God has given them three opportunities here. Now he says, have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you that thou should not eat of it? So here we see the accountability that God is doing as the example to us as parents. This was very eye-opening to us. Because typically we, we don't have clear boundaries. Typically we have no clue of what to do for consequences. And often we, we don't call our children to accountability. We ignore things, we let things pass, we pretend we don't hear or see things because we don't have time to be bothered right now or it's not convenient or we're in a setting that is not going to look very good, whatever the, our circumstances may be. And then when we do call them to accountability, we don't ask questions and to draw their heart so that they can, can bring it out on their own and confess and repent. We then, when we finally address it, we often tell and accuse and we're often upset. None of this is God's picture of parenting. But this is modern-day parenting. This is today's culture parenting, most of which has no boundaries, no accountability, and very, very little consequence. So he's calling them to this accountability, and notice what happens next in the story. The same thing that happens in your homes, right? When God asked Adam, what did Adam say? Well, uh, Verse 12, right here. And the man said, so this is the first opportunity. The questions have been asked. The first opportunity, man now speaks. He says, the woman that you gave me. So where now is, what do we call this? We blame. call this blame. Pass we, and responsibility. We call this self-justification. And it happened the very first time that sin entered. And he says, well, this, this woman that you gave me, <laughs> she gave it to me, and basically all I did is just took a bite. So who's the problem here? The one who made is being, you know, is being blamed. The one who made this woman for him, and now the woman that's been made, she's the one that kind of got me into this whole thing, and I just did a really small part. I mean, I just took a bite. Isn't that how our children respond 
naturally. We call it the default mode. Is it not how we respond in our default mode? So God is calling them to accountability and they are not immediately taking responsibility. So even though he knew all the answers ahead of time, he still asked the questions. And this is really important for us to understand as parents because we give every opportunity for the Spirit of God to work in the heart of that child to the, that they will come forward with what they did wrong. If we pulled our children apart and say, okay, Allison and Emily, tell me what's going on. The first thing that I'm going to expect is the same thing that happened in the garden because we all are the same. We, we are self-preserving, right? Allison says, Emily did it, did it, did it. And Emily says, but it was Allison did it, did it. And there we have the blaming each other. And I said to both our girls, Allison, I'm not asking you what Emily did. I'm asking you what you did. Emily, I'm not asking you what Allison did. I'm asking you what you did, what you said. And we have to, as parents, not get caught into this, this war back and forth and then, you know, coming in with accusative spirit, we ask questions, but we keep our young people on track. And that's exactly what God did. As you read through the, con the context here, he comes back and then he, he starts to say, okay, this is what's happened. And now we're going to talk about the natural result of you crossing the boundary, right? The natural consequences. Other terms are used, punishment, correction. What are some of the other terms out there? Trouble, whatever. Um, we encourage you to use a more mild word, like um, consequences, like that. Even corrections more mild, but even the word discipline in today's culture is viewed as harsh, militaristic, and abusive. So we need to be sensitive. We, we can't be intimidated by the culture we live in, but we need to be wise by the culture, because of the culture we live in, to use less inflammatory words. And especially to say, you are going to be punished. That word is viewed as very, very negative. And in many people's minds, if they heard you say, you need to be punished, they're going to take it far, much further in aggression behavior or, or correction than, than you ever intended. So be sensitive to that, but we want to see the importance of when the boundary is broken. There are natural consequences to the broken boundary. And, and I want to reiterate in, in one way what my wife just said, and yet if, you'd, if you were to know the two of us in, in our lives together, my wife tends to want to avoid any conflict. <laughs> and that's a good thing. She's very balancing for me, okay? So I, do don't like like, I don't like okay, conflict, I think you do. but if conflict is necessary, I'm up for conflict, okay? <laughs> Hopefully by the grace of God, but I am very resistant to being politically correct. She's squeezing my hand right now because she doesn't want me to say too much, okay? No, I was going to also <laughs> contrast us here because while I avoid conflict, right, I'm a people pleaser. I also have more, because of how I was raised, more higher expectation of obedience in our children than our, my husband had at the beginning. 
That's right. He was raised as a very indulged child. And I can say that now. He didn't like it early in our marriage, but <laughs> by, his own, by his own mouth, he's proclaimed. I don't like it now either, but it's the truth. Okay. <laughs> well, you say it, then I won't have no, to. No, that's fine. It's, it's just it's sad that you have to say that, but it's true. Okay. So there's hope I was a very spoiled child. There's hope for all of us, right? It doesn't matter how we've been raised, but with the word of God, and we bring that to our lives, and we, we bring, let the power of God come in our lives, he recreates us into his likeness, his image, in, and by his, his words, his principles. So here we are in our home, okay? I avoid conflict, but when, when the girls, when, when I finally did, you know, they finally could cross the boundaries so far and so many times that I did something, I was much more one to follow through. So we have a recording of our oldest daughter who was two years old. I am at work in intensive care. It's an evening. He's home with the children. We have a baby and a, t and, and a two-year-old. And she is jumping on the bed. And he used to record their evenings together. I thought it was just great for history. You know, <laughs> now it comes back to bite me. <laughs> and she, you can hear her screaming, ah, doing this on the bed, right? And he says to her, Allison, I don't think mommy wants you to jump on the bed, <laughs> but mommy is nowhere to be seen, so that's not a problem. You think that was motivation for her to stop? Oh no, she just jumped higher and more. And then he says, Allison, mommy doesn't really want you jumping on the bed, so still passing the buck here. This is the, even before we get into it, you know, we pass the buck into the whose who's fault or whatever. And then he says, you might fall down and get hurt. In other words, trying to give her good reason, you know, a very intellectual, mature reason why you should be jumping on the bed, because you might fall off and get hurt. Well, a two-year-old doesn't know what that all means. And then the next thing you hear on the cassette tape recording is this loud crash as she <laughs> falls off the bed, hits the, the casing on the window, and hits the floor and starts screaming, and he says, honey, that's why mommy doesn't want you jumping on the bed. <laughs> it's all there <laughs> in the archives. <laughs> so save those old cassette recorders. They do have value in today's society. Hey, you know, they're going to be, uh... anyway. So here's the point. We are different as parents, right? And the differences need to be blended, not by how I was raised and how he was raised. I avoid conflict, but I would follow through. He isn't afraid of conflict necessarily. He has to be put into it, but it's just like lets him go much, 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 much further. So are there really any boundaries in this home, you know? And where do they start showing up? And they're kind of faint. So we need to have these clear expectations in our home. Yes, yeah, so now how am I doing as a grandpa? Oh, you're doing much better. Oh, much better. Oh, yeah. No, it's true, but I still call the grandchildren to, I mean, no, you're good at it. I'm pretty good at he's, this he's, he's really good at it, but I'm still a little bit, a little bit right there because we, I, and because, you know, I was home with the children all the time. There are preceding things that start to happen before you have the problem. And, you know, the more we in tune with the children, we can back it up and we can see when the first step to that direction is going, and that's where we call to the heart, right? Not wait until they've crossed the boundary. So I think because of all that yeah. intensive parenting I did many years ago, I'm intensive, <laughs> intensively parent, grandparenting. How's that? So now let's get back to some, some silence here that yes. we find in the story. Because 
God has now brought them to accountability. They have not given him good answers, but notice the silence here. This is something we often miss as parents. God does not enter negotiations mm -hmm. with Adam. He doesn't say, you know, like we might. Do you know who you're talking to right now? <laughs> you better stop putting the blame on me and on your wife. God doesn't do any of that. The next thing we find, and we can learn from this, is that God moves to the consequences. Okay? And in verse 14 of Genesis 3, And the Lord said to the serpent, Notice what's happening. When God called for accountability, who did he speak to first? Adam. Who, who was the one who really caused the problem in the first place? Well, the snake, the serpent. <laughs> but Eve was the one, so you would have thought God might have called the serpent to accountability, and then Eve to accountability, and then Adam. Adam's first, because God gave the instructions to Adam. It's gospel order. Christ is head of the man. And the man, in God's terms, in gospel order, is the head of the woman and the head of the home. Okay? He goes to Adam first, but now the consequences are being given out. There's no negotiations. There's no debate. And now he goes to the serpent. That's the root of it all. That's who gets the first consequence. That's who gets it. Because of what you have done, you are cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and on your belly you will go for the rest of your life. Where are the snakes today? On the belly. On the belly. I killed two the other day. Sorry. I do not like snakes. And I, I often say it's because of this story <laughs> right here in Genesis 3. Okay? If there's a snake that pops out, of, my wife is usually the one that finds them. And I hear her scream like she's being abducted. <laughs> and I know it's a snake because she does it so long that I'm amazed she has enough wind in her lungs. And, and it just sends a shot of adrenaline through me. And so You can hear it from anywhere in the house or on the property when I scream when I see a snake. So unfortunately for these snakes, whether they're a rattlesnake or whatever they are, if they're crawling out of our bushes by our house, they're, they're done. They're gone. Okay. So anyway, that's the enmity I like to think that God put between the, us and the serpent. Okay. So that's the first consequence. Guess who gets the second consequence in this story? Eve. Okay. Adam gets the first accountability. Satan gets the first consequence. Then Eve gets the next consequence in verse 16. He said to the woman, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and conception. In the sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. The desire, your desire, shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Those words are not popular words today. Partly because we don't live in a, in a culture that, that that's very popular. But God had to do this. God had to do this because he created us equal. He created us to be he didn't take Eve from the sole of Adam's foot, right? It was not to be domination. It was from the side. But because she led into sin, and she was led into sin, God had to say, okay, we can't just maintain that you do what you do and he does, your desire will be toward him. 
and now you have to get permission if you're going to wander off again and go do something. And that has been tough on women, partly because we men have not been like Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave. And we've made it hard on women. And because of you know, a lot of culture today, women were really put down, and now they're, you know, they're seeking the ascendancy, and they don't want to just be equal with men anymore. Now they want to be above men, and you understand what's going on in our culture today. But God dealt with the woman next, and then, Adam, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, it was to Adam that God gave the command, not Adam and Eve. To Adam he gave the command. Thou shalt, I said, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Is it a blessing that God cursed the ground? Now that's a little oxymoron, but it is. Cursed is the ground for your sake because now you're going to have to work harder and it's going to be good for you in that state of your sinfulness to have to work harder and not have as much idle time. Thorns and thistles will come forth. And in the sweat of your face, you shall eat your bread until you go back into the ground from which you were made. And then what was the final consequence? They're kicked out of their home. Now, is God taking this too far? They are taken out of Eden. They are made to leave. And God puts angels with flaming swords which were there until Eden was taken up. Isn't this amazing? Those were still visible. People could walk up to the gates of Eden in Noah's day and see those angels there, and yet they didn't believe God when he said there's going to be a flood. That's just a sidelight. And until Eden was taken up. But they were, I like to say, they were evicted because of love. Okay? Sounds pretty hard, doesn't it? And sometimes when it comes to consequences, if we have any of them, we say, oh, you poor thing, you're tired, aren't you? You didn't get your nap. Let's just forget about the the consequences today. Is that love? It feels like we're being loving when in reality we're being indulgent. Yeah, because we do not have clear boundaries or clear expectations. And even even when we may have some of those in place, we often excuse our children and we start it when they're, when they're babies. They didn't have their nap. They're overtired. They didn't eat enough food. Their blood sugar must be low, you know? And so we, and our children are very keen to pick up on this. Amen. Pretty soon, at two years old, they will act out and do things they know that are deliberately wrong and yeah, tell you what to do as a parent. And then, you know... When, when, you, when you try, because we are so afraid of God's order. We have been so conditioned in the culture we live in, and this has been for several generations, including ours, if we were raising children, it hasn't been any easier on you raising your little ones. But it is viewed as cruel, mean, or abusive to correct a child. The whole culture today is all about keeping children happy and hands off. And that is only leading to what we see in society as we are self-destructing. We are falling apart. So we have the perfect model of the home here at the beginning, before sin and after sin, so we can go back and learn from that 
and as Bible-believing Christians, implement the principle into our homes and see the blessing that it can be. Because what happens is we excuse our children. They're used to mom bailing them out. She's shy. She's tired. He's, you know, hasn't had enough food. He's this, he's that. And we have literally seen parents whose young people grew up with our young people, friends of ours, who excused their children all the way through life. And now they are almost ready to walk down the aisle and commit themselves in marriage, and the guy has an absolute blow-up temper tantrum in adult-sized form. In front of all a bunch of us friends. And his mother comes and said, you know, he really can't help it. He's out of adjustment. He didn't get his chiropractic adjustment. He's under a lot of tension. This is real. I mean, this is not a made-up story for an illustration. 25 years old. I think he's a little older than that. But anyway, the point no, is, <laughs> we don't recognize when we start making these little... And I have said it. We have come to church and somebody greets our, our children and that they know and they just look away with, you know, totally ignore them. And I say, oh, she's shy. Lied. She's not shy when she's at home. The, you know, inspiration <laughs> says that a truly shy child is a child to be respectful, respe is respectful and obedient. So if they're spoken to, even though they're very, very reserved, they will still answer you, right? They will still answer that person. And let's put it in the context of today, because we're not talking about a stranger walking up to the street and you're in the garage and your child's riding the bike, you know, on the driveway and the stranger walks up and says, hi, how are you today, Sonny? Oh, no, because you don't know that person. So let's put it in the proper context. We live in a very deviant culture as well. But when we are with our children, when these are people they know, and they are in the presence of us, they are in a safe zone, right? That's right. We need to have the expectation. And so we taught our children that, you know, to be, to be responsive instead of excusing them. And we missed it on the first two, but when the little boy came along, and he's two years old, and I'm going through the hardware store, and he's in the basket. The girls are behind me. And the man at the hardware store, who he really has never seen before, because he'd never remember being in the hardware store, when he walks up to him and says, Hi, Sonny, how are you today? He didn't have a meltdown. He didn't look panicked. He just looked at him and said, Good. <laughs> And the man had a total shock on his face. Like, he looks at me. Because he was expecting what, what we see, right? This meltdown screaming, the child reaching for mom, climbing out of the basket, you know, tearing to get up into his mother's arms. Because we were teaching him at home that this is safe if mommy is with you, if daddy is with you, if somebody's with you, this is okay, even if you don't know the person. So we want to make that distinction, okay? We're not talking about your child. Just anybody can walk up to them and they can carry on a conversation. We have to have prudence in the culture we live in. But we want to teach our children to be respectful. And that was one of the boundaries we put in our home in, in relationship to helping our children, not to excuse them, but to have them be accountable for themselves. So we want to talk about, just share a few little examples like that that, that are very important. And, and so, 
For our children, when we traveled, and we traveled as a ministry, as a family in ministry when our children were young, and we did a lot of vehicle travel, and we would stop at hotels on our way to do a seminar, and it was a real highlight for our children if we could find a, a hotel that had a pool, okay? I mean, it was actually a highlight for all of us, okay, living in Montana. You know, we had a pond in our backyard, which was wonderful if it was 95 degrees, and you could jump into it, and then you get out quick because it's 40 degrees. That's the water temperature coming from a mountain spring. So it was refreshing, but it wasn't the kind of thing you could enjoy playing in, okay? Wouldn't so we go to the pools, and <clears throat> what do pools have written along the sides? Like, no diving, okay? So if, if we were... Some of them say no running as well. No running. And so we had this rule, because these are reasonable rules, and these are rules that this owner has put there. Should we respect those? Okay? So we said to our children, we had a little, little kind of fun saying, if you run, you are done with the fun. Just a little rhyme. And I remember the first time we implemented this, and I think Josiah at the time was, I always don't know the ages, what, were, what was he about? He's probably six. Six or seven, something like that. And so we're having fun in the pool. We're playing together as a family, doing little, little games and activities. We got out of the pool, and his sisters went down to the deep end. They swam down. They swam down, but he couldn't do that. He couldn't follow his sisters down to the deep end that way. So he comes, gets up the ladder, jumps onto the edge of the pool, and what's he, what's he doing? He is running because he doesn't want to miss out. Three quarters of the way down there, I said, Josiah, and he turned around slowly, <laughs> and I just did this. And he came walking towards me like this. I just want to pause here for a second. <laughs> okay, pause. Because While I'm downtrodden. Yes, you'll recover. <laughs> Here's the thing that happens. Soon as that took place, what do we say? Remember, no running, right? Who is accountable here? The child or the parent? The parent always is accountable, but are we making that child accountable? No, we're, we're taking the responsibility, right? So we've given a clear direction, a clear expectation, a clear boundary. If you run, you're done with the fun. So they break the boundary, not, not because they're, they're just rebellious. It's because in the moment, they're just thoughtless. They have one thing on their mind, that's to get to the other end of the pool before the sisters get there. So we often, remember no running. What did I, I told you, how many times? A hundred times, right? And they get accustomed to hearing us repeat the, the directions, the instructions, the expectations again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You know what it's like. We know what it's like. And there's no change. They just keep, you know, they're just expecting us, but there's no, there's no expectation or accountability on their side, and there's certainly no consequences. And the reason we do this is because we're afraid to draw the, make the boundary clear. And immovable, right? God's word has boundaries that do not move. 
And if we train our children that any, any instruction given or any expectation or any boundary is flexible, can be, can be walked through, run through, gone through, any time a child desires it, and there's no clear expectation or follow-up or consequences, we are teaching them to do the same with the Word of God. It is that simple. And, and we've seen it happen. We've, we've seen, seen it played it out. Again and again and again. We have done it ourselves because we are so accustomed to justifying ourselves because this is my circumstances right now. You know, to, so we, the, parenting is really a fun job, but it's also a very serious job that we need to pay attention to. So now you can raise your head now because... <laughs> so he came walking back to me and I said, do you know why I called you? See, there's the question. Question. Yes. I said, what happened? He said, well, when I run, I'm done with the fun. And he looks so downcast. <laughs> there you go. Did you hear that? That makes you feel guilty. Do you think God felt guilty when he sent Adam and Eve out of the garden? No. You think he was sad? Was he sad? Yes. yes. But he did not feel guilty. He was doing exactly what was within his character of the deepest love that we can experience. Right. And so I said to Josiah, sit down, son. You're done. And when I say this, everywhere I've ever said this, the people go, oh, man, how hard. Like, can't you give him another chance? So... Don't lose hope. <laughs> Don't lose hope. Because he's a seven-year-old or six-year-old, whatever he was. He sat down. He did not get upset at me. He did not justify himself. He did not talk back to me. Or he did not have an attitude. He did not blame his sisters. And he sat there for about three to five minutes thinking he was done. And then I did something else that God does that he wants parents to do. I leaned over to Josiah, and I said, would you like another opportunity? Would you like another opportunity to do it right? He said, really? I said, yes. He was so excited, he almost started running again, <laughs> but he didn't. The point is this. Age appropriate, our consequences and our boundaries they need to be clear and they need to be followed through with no negotiation. If we will do that with our children, they will love us and respect us because we are fair and honest, dependable, equitable, and consistent, which we aren't all the time, which is a problem that we have, okay? Mm -hmm. And if the foundation of that is, as we shared yesterday, what we give back to our children in love, then we have the we are gaining the balance. And that lesson, he's 32 years old now, just turned 32 on Sunday, okay? That lesson never left him through the rest of his life. Isn't that amazing? Because there was no negotiation. There was no, you know, I'll give you another 15 chances. When we do that, our children become confused and they test every boundary. They push, and if the boundary moves back, they keep pushing it until one gentleman told us at a seminar we did, he was the host of a seminar, a chaplain 
at a men's prison. And we shared this message, and afterward he came up to us very emotionally. More than 50% of the young men I deal with in my prison are there because the boundaries were never established. The boundaries were just pushed back. And finally, the boundary that these young men met was the boundary of handcuffs in the penitentiary because nobody loved them enough to stop them. Is that a tragedy? That's not love, okay? Now, that's a drastic example, but we know people today that are in prison because of that, okay? That we know, all right? And so we as parents need to, to love enough that we will not get angry, we will not get in an argument with our children, we will just say the boundaries were clear, son. It's time to sit down. And then, if they respond in the right way and they are willing to learn, we give them the opportunity to be sorry and to get up and go on in life again. But if they sit there and they're all mad at you and their lip is hanging out and they're kicking the floor and pushing the chairs and they're huffy with everybody around them, they are, they are experiencing the consequence but not the heart change. And everything about this is about reaching the heart. Amen. We're going to talk about more of that tomorrow. But then you, don't, you, you can say to your, your child, because of your attitude, it will be the rest of the evening. If you would have chosen to sit here and accept it without blaming, without negotiating, without you know, having an attitude about it, you would have had an opportunity in a short period of time to, have it, to go back into the pool. So we cannot reward bad attitudes, okay? Amen. It's not just enough to give the correction to have them sit out of the pool. And then say, okay, well, you've been here five minutes. Go back. This is your first offense. While he has a negative attitude, he's been blaming and is in, in negotiation because we only reinforce that behavior. So here's what we typically do as parents, and we know because we've done this. So we typically don't have clear boundaries. And then when our children, if there is some kind of a direct command or, or direction or we say don't do that and they do it, we, we remind them dozens of times. Remember, I told you. And then we might even increase the level of intensity in our voice. We get louder. We get a little more firm with the voice. And then we finally respond, okay? I'm going to say we react. We react, yeah. And that reaction is not in the spirit of God. It's in the spirit of the flesh, which we're told in inspiration only drives the behavior further into the child. So there's nothing wrong with correction done in the Spirit of God. And, you know, that's the best way to reach the heart. So then we get to that point, or we've allowed our children to negotiate with us, get this back, you know, they're excusing themselves, they're blaming other people, they're justifying their actions, and they're in back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I have seen parents, and I have done this, for about a 30-minute time, I have actually seen parents for more than one hour in a back and forth with a four-year-old because, you know, the four-year-old's not willing, and the, mo the mom's still trying to, you know, honey, don't you understand that, you know, you can't do this, but, and, 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 and they're going back and forth in these long conversations. That is not how we get to the finish line, friends. We need to have a clear boundary, a clear uh, expectation, then follow it through with clear accountability, and then, if necessary, I mean, sometimes a child says, 
not in this situation, but I've had sometimes my child would say, Mother, I'm so sorry. And I realized what I did was wrong, and I'm so sorry. I said, thank you. Let's pray, and, and we're done. It, not every infraction needs to have, you know, some type of a physical consequence. What I mean by that is you have to have timeout. By the way, timeouts don't work in case you haven't figured it out, but they don't. But anyway, you have this, and then you try that. And the other thing, sometimes as the child gets older and has more reasoning ability, we can have those kind of conversations. But at a two-year-old age, you, we can't have those kind of conversations. If we do, all the two-year-old learns, and that is, I, mommy talks long enough that I don't have anything. And even prayer, because I've seen this. Sometimes people say, well, let's kneel and pray, and we should be praying with our children when offenses and, and you know, those disobediences are happening. But I've seen children say, okay, mommy, okay, mommy, I just want to pray. And they get down their knees, please, dear Jesus, please forgive me, and they get up, and then they go play. And as if that is the, their way of escape. This is not good parenting. And when we look at the example in Scripture, did Adam and Eve die? Did they? Yeah, they did, because they're not around, right? They did. The ultimate consequence was given that had, you know, it came out of time when God determined, but he gave them, he didn't extinguish the human race. He still gave opportunity for confession and repentance and a changed heart. So he set in motion before the, he created this world, the plan of redemption. And now it was time to put it into implementation, right now in the Garden of Eden, the plan of redemption. So praise the Lord, we need redemption in our homes. That's what he was illustrating in If You Run, You're Done With The Fun. Five minutes, good attitude, he was back in the pool, and he doesn't run at the pool anymore. So, we'll take the questions at the end. Sorry. Yeah. So one thing that Elaine just threw in there just really quick is timeout doesn't work. I just want to be sensitive that we use timeout for only one thing, and that is if, if there was a situation where the child was not responding, could not get calmed down, we would send the child to their room to just calm down, we would pray and we would say, we'll meet you in five minutes, okay? There is a place for that. I just didn't want sure. that to be, because sometimes these things just stick in our minds and, oh, the waters say that timeout never works, okay? But timeout, generally how it's used, and that is busy parents often just say, go to your room, you're going to have 30 minutes timeout, and you send a five-year-old to their room for 30 minutes timeout, and you've got nothing but playtime, and there's no direction. If we send them, we need to know, first of all, that we're sending them with a purpose and we're going to follow up very shortly, particularly if they're younger. Otherwise, we just get them out of our hair and there's no, there's no really good that comes from that. It's often they sit there and they brood over something or they just go in the room and they check out and they let their imagination go wild or they go in the room and they play. It's got to be very structured right. accountability for Yeah, for and that. not a long period of yes. time. Thank you for the clarification, Jerry. Yeah, so. So here's another example. You know, we pull a lot of them from our own family. Um, some good and some not so good. But anyway, um, we went to the thrift store as a family. We like to thrift store shop. And there was something we particularly were looking for. And we actually, I actually found it there. You were there with the, mm -hmm. we were there as a family. But... 
one of the children went up to the checkout with me, you know, the counter there right by the door to buy the item. And I really didn't pay any attention. I saw something on the counter, and it was this cute little log cabin. I mean, miniature log cabin. It was quite cute, actually. And it was sitting there. Of course, it draws the eye. We lived in Montana, so log cabins were the big thing there, you know. And I, I saw it. I didn't really pay any attention to it. And as I am checking out, all of a sudden, kaboom! This log cabin explodes. Pieces go everywhere. I'm going to back up and say something here. We're going to talk more about this on Friday. But one of the boundaries we have in our home, if it's not yours, you do not have permission to take it or to touch it. There are things common in the home for everybody. Kleenexes. You don't have to ask permission to get a Kleenex. But you do need to ask your sister permission to get in her doll clothes bag to use her, your sister's doll clothes on your doll. You just can't go say, well, I want my dolly to wear that dress because we've been through this in our home. So it's a lot of hands-on teaching and training, right? So especially we, we put that principle forward when we're in your home, we don't allow our children just to go, you know, and start cruising through your house, picking up stuff, looking at it, playing going with it, drawers. going through your drawers. I mean, we've had people come to our home, they're going through our drawers, <laughs> our personal bedroom drawers. I see people shaking their head because no, they have the children haven't been taught boundaries, right? So we had taught. Well, they're just this. curious. <laughs> they they don't take anything. That's not the point, right? So we're in this thrift store. This thing explodes, and I'm like trying to figure out what's going on. And the man at the counter, standing on the other side of the counter, he looked down at my daughter, and he said. Can't you read? With a fairly stern voice. Now, she was well able to read. And as I looked down to see what was going on, there's this white cardboard card there, about so big, big black letters, do not touch, right next to what where used to be the log cabin. And she looked at him. Now, let's pause here, moms. We rescue, don't we? These are some of the typical responses that come to us. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll pay for it, don't worry. You know, we'll, we'll take care of it, we'll pay for it, right? Is there any accountability to the child? No. Or we do something like this, what's the matter with you? You know how to read, I told you, you should not, she knows better than I, I'm sorry, I'll take care of it. So we chastise and, and humiliate the child, right? Is that healthy? Is there any lesson in that? No. But we, even in that, the child will take that because mom's still coming to the rescue, right? So I said nothing. And she looked at him, even though he looked at her in the eye and with a very firm voice, she looked at him and she said, yes, sir, I can read. And I'm sorry, I actually didn't see that. And I'm sorry that I broke it and I want to buy it and I will pay for it. So she took accountability for disobedience even though her disobedience was innocent, and I believed her. She wasn't a lying child. She was our miniature child. She loved she miniatures. Miniature Anything things. that was miniature, the smaller it was. So that's, what, that's where her eyes went, was to that little log cabin. It had a little handle on the door that you could, and hinges that you could actually pull it open. It had furniture inside. I mean, it was very well done. And it had a mousetrap inside. So as soon as you pulled the door and you got past a certain point on the hinge, 
the, the trap went off and it went into pieces everywhere, both sides of the counter, across the thing. But she took accountability and she gave her own consequences, right? I'm sorry I did this, I will pay you for it. And the man, he was totally, his whole countenance changed. He stood paralyzed for a moment and then he started laughing, he said, gets him every time. Because this, this, this is a booby trap, right? We know the term booby trap. <laughs> Adults have done it too, right? Everybody sees it. And then he gives this little thing and says, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I can put it all back together. Just give me the pieces on your side of the thing. But the, the point was is that this response from the child was one he had never seen. And he started asking us questions. He said, this is amazing. First of all, that you didn't yell at her. Secondly, that you didn't defend her. And thirdly, that she would answer me, speak to me, and then offer to pay for it all on her own with no coaching or prodding in the background. And I said, well, sir, that's because we're Christians and we believe in the Bible and we're training our children that there are rules, there's boundaries in this world, and when somebody says do not touch, we respect that. He said, that's amazing. Half the town is Christians, but they all do it. They all touch it. So we are witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of life. Our children can be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of life. And we as Christian parents need to encourage them with the principles of God's word that they apply in our home, they apply at the church, they apply everywhere they go. And to the, it was amazing. She was engaged to be married. But from that day on, she, unless she had an intention that she was she serious. She wasn't engaged to be married when that happened. No, no, I'm sorry. No, yes. you're right. She was 10 years old. Yes. But yes. later on, to... yeah, I got to go back up. That was a little. Thank you, sweetheart. That's why I need him. She <laughs> keeps me on the level. <laughs> For the rest of that time, even up until the point she was engaged to be married, unless she had an intention to serious enough to buy something, she didn't touch anything. I mean, we would go to stores, you know, people pick stuff up, look at it, put it down, you know. Not her, I mean, her age. Not because it doesn't say no touch and everything. It's just she had learned such a valuable lesson. If I really don't need it and I really don't want it, why should I pick it up and just investigate it? So we were shopping, you know, she was engaged, and we were looking at lamps and different things, and he says, yeah, you, know, you can, you know, go ahead, touch it, whatever. But anyway, it was, it was kind of fun to see how that responded in her. So one of the things that we need to teach our children and train in our children by precept and example, as we talked yesterday, by precept, the principle and the example. In our home, and this is biblical, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He, God, is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. Okay? If we publicly commit something, do something wrong, if we sin, if we, whatever it is, and it affects everyone in the room, it is our responsibility to take care of that in a public way. That's right. That is not in our culture today. In many cases, it's not even in our church culture today. It's there in principle, but it's not there in reality. We, we know men today, and it's not just men, but I'm thinking of, of a couple that we've been in situations with, they have not said, I'm sorry, one time in their married life to their wife. Because they're perfect? No. Because they 
are not willing to lower their, their pride and, and deal with this, okay? We need to teach and train our children that when an offense happens publicly in the home circle or out there, they need to confess that sin as my daughter did at that counter that day. She said, yes, I can read. I am sorry that I did not see that sign, but I will pay for this. We need to teach and train them to, to be willing to confess and not to make excuses. Okay? Steps to Christ talks about that when many times we come forth, and she uses the word apology, we come forth with an apology that then we give the excuses for why we did it, and it actually wipes out the real confession. Okay, We need, by precept and example, to be teaching and training our children that we make our confessions specific, we don't make excuses for them, and we ask for forgiveness and move on. This sounds like a very basic principle, but in many cases, it's not happening in our homes the way God would have it to happen. Yeah, Steps to Christ, the reference, page 38. True confession is always, underscore always, of specific character and acknowledges particular sins. So even in our family devotions, if you can say, just please forgive us of our sins, that's so generic. Does that do anything to... To our hearts. But if we have to humble ourselves and say, Lord, please forgive me today. I was impatient with the children in my prayer. I've confessed and repented them. Now I'm confessing and repenting the Lord. I was impatient. I spoke with hastiness. I spoke with sharpness in my voice. I showed, spoke, however, please forgive me. When we have done this in our home, it makes us ten times more sensitive to our, our spirit and our attitude. And it's really, as we humble our hearts, God uses that to call to our hearts when we're about ready to go down the same default path. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Thank you.